0: First off, I'd like to thank everybody who helped tear apart this building last week and put it back together yesterday. Um, Some of you may know, if I don't tell some of you, you won't know for four years, but we painted the sanctuary this week. Um, So if you were thinking, huh, something looks different. Yes, it is. We're not. it's It's a work in progress. Like all of our projects, we try to make sure that we have the money before we do any of it. So we had the money to basically paint the sanctuary, and then we'll be doing, uh, before Easter, it's our goal to have the uh, additional funds to do like the doors and the trim work around the doors and that kind of thing. So if some of you are thinking, this is a strange design choice. No, we're just, it's in progress. And I'm okay living in progress because my life, much of the time, is a work in progress. So if this room looks like a work in progress, and if you can't tell because it's kind of dark in here right now, it's more of a gray, and then we painted the ceiling white. They said it would brighten the place up, so we'll see. I'm looking for a brighter place. All right, so anyway, thank you to everybody. It wasn't, I was just looking around in awe. No. Um, thank you to everybody who helped last week take down all the chairs and take down all the panels and everything else, it, it, it only took us about 30 minutes, 20 minutes, and it was because we had so many people stay. So thank you and to all the men who came out yesterday to reset so that we were ready to go today. For those of you who are dying from the paint fumes, I've been told they'll dissipate in three to four weeks. So if you'll stick around with us. And here's here, I'm going to do you one better. When I'm here this week, I'm going to come in, turn the heat off in here, and open the doors to try to get the smell out quicker. So that's my commitment to you. I know, what a guy. That's what you're thinking. What a guy. If you've got your Bible with you today, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Um I'm going to do normally I always do a plug for something at the very end of service, but I'm going to do two today, so I'm going to do one right now. And the first one is this. Today, at 3 p.m, it's one of my favorite things of the year, not just because I love football. I do love football, but I love the Super Bowl party, but here's why I love the Super Bowl party. It's one of those events where you can go and you don't even have to like football. You can bring your own monopoly game. I don't really care. But we get to be together and there's like this unlimited amount of food. It's just a beautiful amount of food. It really is. It's like overflowing. We had like four tables last year of soups and chilies. And the thing is people say, oh, take a bowl of my soup or whatever. I'm like, no, I'll take two bites because there's four more things I have to eat still. I I love it because one of the things that I value more than anything, one of my core values as a person is community. Because 15, 20 years ago, I took a class on understanding the community of God. And basically, they they pointed out in Scripture how you can't really know God outside of community. From the very beginning, it says it's not good that man should be alone. That's not just about get married. That's about living in community. And community can be frustrating because people are, you know, it's like I tell my daughter, people are the worst. (laughs) You know, people are, I can't stand people. And yet, I'm called to be with them every day. And so that's on me, not on them. It's on me to learn to adapt and to love the hard-to-love person and to follow what God has called me to do. And so I, I value today because it's about community. It's not about, there's no message. There's no anything else. It's about me spending time getting to know people better. I was telling the men yesterday, there's a, a couple in our church that in the early 30s, maybe not even 30 yet. And um, they've been coming to the church about two months. They started in October just over a year ago. And um, they went to the Super Bowl party. And there was a couple who's in their 70s that was sitting with them. And I honestly thought, oh, they must know each other already. And because they sat down and they talked, and the entire game they talked. And so I fully expected like, them to say, oh, yeah, this is our granddaughter or this is our neighbor, and we've known each and they were like, oh, no, we just met today. And they talked the entire time, and they were holding their babies, and they were taking care of their kids, and they were doing everything else. And at the end of it, I was like, man, I wanna, when I'm 70, I want to be like them and not just go, well, I wish people wouldn't bring their kids here. I want to be the person who goes, give me your baby, go get some food, and enjoy life. And let me just hold this kid for a while. That's what community is about. It doesn't matter if you're 70 or if you're 30. You can build relationship and make friends. And ironically, both those couples, still in the church a year later. And I would think they would be so bold as to say, still have a relationship with each other. That's why today matters to me. All right, so there's my first plug. At the end, you're going to get another one, so hold on. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. said, Then Jesus, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And this starts at verse 6 here. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, Again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. So I broke this down into four parts today. The story, the significance of the story, the application, and the conclusion. I always begin every message or every series by asking myself questions. Sometimes people say, hey, could you do a series on this or on this character or on this attribute or on this subject? Even when they do that, I say, well, I'll think about it. And then I begin to ask myself questions. What does this mean to me? What does, how does this relate to people? Is this more just a list of things people should be doing, or is there stuff deeper than that? <coughs> and so I began by asking myself these questions. Once I know the story, what's the significance of this story? So really the story begins earlier in chapter 3 with the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus goes to John who is a prophet known throughout the land to be telling people that the Messiah is coming. Then he goes to be baptized by John, and John doesn't want to baptize him because John, whether it's then or at some point earlier, has this recognition, he's the one. And so John goes and baptizes him, but first he says, really, I shouldn't baptize you. He says, this is the way it has to be. And then as the story continues, if you follow along, when Jesus comes back out of the wilderness, John's been put in prison at that point. So John's gone before, he's done what he has to do, and now in one sense, his story is done. And then the story doesn't really give us a lot of details while he's in the wilderness. We know that he fasts, we know that he prays. That's what we know so far. And we know that he's tempted three specific times. Food, Power and wealth are the three things that he's offered. Three things that we all want and all need. You say, well, I don't need those things. You do. You need food to live. It's true. We all do. I've known, the longest anyone I've personally known did a fast was 21 days. My dad did a 21-day fast. The last week of it, he actually went off by himself because, A, I think he was getting grumpy, but B, he said he wanted to focus on God. And I noticed a lot of grumpiness in there prior to him leaving. My dad used to go once a month. We have this tiny little one-room cabin. I've talked about it many times. No, uh, no plumbing. You have to pump your water. And it's got electricity, but like you can't get a television station or anything. And so he would go once a month for two or three days and fast and pray when he was working on his sermon series. And I remember thinking, it just seems so counterintuitive. I do my best thinking when I'm full of food. It's true, I do. They tell you, you should have a great breakfast before you take a test. But food is something that we all want. It's all something that it is a basic need. Without food, at some point, you die. Power. To some degree, you want freedom in your own life. Most of you haven't voluntarily gone to a country where slavery still exists and said, sign me up and given away your power. Because we want some control of our life. Even if you work for a boss, a lot of us. Have any of you ever in here thought of owning your own business or operating your own business, no matter what you do? Oh, wow, more than I thought. About a third of you are saying, yeah, I've, I'd like to have my own business. So you really want all those headaches? Yes, because you want the freedom that comes with it. You want the freedom to say which jobs you take and which ones you turn down. You want the freedom to say who I'm going to do business with and what I'm going to do. We like that idea. I know many people that... After they go through their whole career and retire, they then start a business. And even if it's something simple, they start a food truck or a restaurant or, in my father-in-law's case, his own engineering company that gets government contracts that's worth millions of dollars. And I'm like, wait, you're supposed to be retired. This was after 41 years at General Electric, you decided to suddenly go start your own company and compete with them and win. when? Because people like that freedom. They want to be able to say what they do. That's where the power comes in. And wealth. Now, most of us are really content with where we're at. We think, I don't need to be rich. I just wish I had 10% more. That's what they say the average American wishes they made was 10% more. When you ask people in these surveys or however they work, according to the poll, people wish they made 10% more. Now, see, I'm different. I wish I made about 300% more. But you guys that are normal just wish you made about 10%, just a little more, just because you don't necessarily want to change your whole style of living, but it sure would be nice to remodel the kitchen and the bathrooms. It'd be nice to get a newer car every four or five years. It'd be nice to do A, B, and C. We play the lottery. If you play the lottery, it's because you have this dream of, I want to build the schools in Africa, but I also wouldn't mind having my own jet. We do that not because we want to control people, but because wouldn't a little more be nice? Wouldn't a little bit of wealth be nice? He he hits Jesus right with things that hit us today. Right where we're at with just a little more, a little bit of power, a little bit of wealth, something, you know, to eat right now. And we see that Jesus overcomes these temptations in one way. He understands who he is and what he's been called to. If you want to defeat temptation in your life, you have to know who you are and you have to know that you're called to something more. Because when you compromise who you are because you don't understand who you are, when you're not comfortable with what God has for you and who he's helping you become, when you're in this flux, in this transition, and you don't quite understand, that's when it's easy to give in to temptation because I'm bored, because I'm lonely, because I'm sad. And we want instant fixing of those things. So we give in. We take something for the immediate gratification of it. But when you know who you are and what you've been called to and that you're a work in progress, but part of that progress isn't taking a step backwards into things that you know are destructive for you. So that's the story. Jesus is tempted by the same things that we're tempted by. And the reason he doesn't give in is because he knows who he is. He doesn't just know what he's been called to do. Because at no point does it hint that he knows that he's been called to be the sacrifice. But it tells us over and over when he gives those scriptures, he knows who he is. So what's the significance? This all happens before we see Jesus do his first ministry. If we want to be serving Jesus for our whole life, we have to prepare ourselves. There's all this preparation that goes in. His time is marked by prayer and by fasting. He doesn't have the disciples yet. He doesn't have the adoration of people following him yet. He'd been a carpenter, and he leaves because he knows that that's what God has for him next. He gets baptized, and he goes off by himself. And my favorite thing about it is, right after he comes back, he calls the first of his disciples, because he recognizes it's time to be in community. And if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to walk this walk, if I'm going to follow this path, I cannot do it alone. Because I wasn't made to operate in a bubble. I wasn't made to operate in a vacuum. I was made to live in community and to be something more than what I even see myself as. And so were you. God looks at you and he doesn't see you as a carpenter or a plumber or an accountant or an attorney. He looks and he sees you as his child and says, all those other things you do, those pay the bills. But that's not who you are. You're something more than that. And too often times we get caught up in the well, this is all I am and this is all I do. This is all I have. But that's because we're looking at me, 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 instead of what God has created you to be and the fact that you're a work in progress. And until the moment you take your last breath, he still wants to work in you and through you. So he's called his first disciples and they begin to follow him. And he spends the next three years shaping their lives for one purpose, knowing that he's got to complete his mission and his task, but somebody's got to carry on the message. What a beautiful picture in the sense that he chose these people, not because of how talented they were as public speakers, but because he knew that if I can get these people to believe in what I'm telling them and understand that I am the Messiah, this message can go all over the world. And here we are 2,000 years later, sitting in a room halfway across the world from where Jesus walked, still knowing and believing. Doesn't say we're never questioning, and it doesn't say we're never struggling. We still can know and believe. He calls his first disciples because he wants to be in community. So, how does this apply to me 2,000 years later? Here's how it applies you got to prepare spiritually before your temptation hits. Preparation for baseball. You may think, oh yeah, spring training coming up. March 1st, they call him up. Some of you guys may know my friend Sam. He comes to church here occasionally. He lives here. He'll live here for four months this year because after that he'll go down to Arizona where he's going to throw a baseball until they tell him where he's going to go and then he's going to be sent to either Texas or Stockton, California, to throw a baseball. The last four, five, six years of his life has been spent throwing a baseball all summer and lifting weights and working out for months at a time. He works out five days a week with a trainer so that when he gets there in March, he can throw a baseball. He throws a baseball over 90 miles per hour. I can't even imagine that. And I'm like, dude, you don't need to work out. You already throw over 90 miles per hour. You know why he can continue to do that? Because he does it five days a week. And on the sixth day, he does yoga to stretch his body out because it's hard to throw a baseball that hard that many days a week. And Sam continues to trace, chase this dream and continues to go on this journey. And I got to see him last year in a minor league baseball game back in Wisconsin. He happened to be there and... Um, my son and I drove to see him, and he had a 22-game hitless streak, or 22 inning. I'm sorry, 22 inning. But he's a he's a closer, a late reliever, or a closer. So he gets in for like to face one batter, two. Bat- the most he faced all last season was five batters, but he had 22 straight innings where he didn't give up a run, and he got written up in these different art um, magazines and different online blogs and. When we were talking about that, I was like, were you pretty excited? He goes, in the moment? He goes, I mean, I knew it was significant when I got to 10 innings because I started getting calls from upper management. Not asking about my pitching. Asking, how's your arm feel? How are your muscles? Not, how are you getting these results? They they can break that down. But have you conditioned enough to keep doing this? Have you trained enough that your body can continue to throw a ball this hard and continue to do what you're doing? If we train and we prepare, if we're spiritually prepared when temptation comes, we have a lot better chance of walking beyond it. Have we spent time in prayer? Have we spent time in the Word? Have we spent time knowing Jesus? Because if we haven't, then when something comes along and it looks good and it meets that immediate need, it's easy to just give in and say, well, it's just this one thing. It's just this one thing, and, and I don't even see anything wrong with it. I can't tell you how many times people will justify things to me, and I'm like, I didn't say anything. Why are you telling me there's nothing wrong with it? If there was nothing wrong with it, you don't know, proceed a conversation with that. <laughs> you proceed a conversation with that when you're having your own internal struggle. Sam doesn't know where he's going to go this year. He could be sent out of the country even, to down into the Caribbean. But you know what? He's preparing every day. He's lifting weights and doing conditioning and throwing a weighted baseball. Because 90 miles per hour isn't quite fast enough. He wants to get to 92, 94, 98. It's not enough to say, well, most of the time I do really well on my walk, but then once in a while I just kind of go off the rails. Let's be people who look at temptation not as a way to give in, but as something that we can overcome. You can overcome temptation. That's the ultimate crux of this message, this whole series. We like to believe that it's more than we can handle. But when we're prepared, and when our heart is prepared, and we're mentally and spiritually prepared, we can do it. So here's my my conclusion to this today, and where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Number one, there's no condemnation. If you're struggling with something in life, I have no condemnation for you. If you're struggling with addiction, you're struggling with sin of any type, I have no condemnation. I offer you hope today. But I also tell you, you can do more and you can be more than you think you can. And you don't have to keep giving in to these same old things. Second is change requires dedication on our part. Whatever changes you decide to make in your life begins with a decision to stop doing something or to start doing something. You want to lose weight? You start exercising and you stop eating late at night. You want to learn to play the guitar? You start practicing every day and you stop just watching TV for four hours a day. You want to, whatever it is, you say, I'd love to do this. I'd love to do a triathlon. Well, you start by swimming and biking and running. Not necessarily even in that order. You choose the order, but you start by doing those. And then you stop doing other things that get in your way of doing that. A few years back, this couple I knew, we were talking about resolutions. And this couple came to me and told me they made this resolution. And their resolution was to, um, they were going to be in church regularly as a family. And so we talked about it a little bit, and I didn't really... You know, it was just a conversation I was having, and they made it one week, two weeks, and then they were gone for a week, and then they were back, and they told me what happened the previous week, and then they were, and I didn't ask them, where were you? It's not my style. And then by about mid-February or March, I didn't see them for about the next five weeks, six weeks, and the next time I saw them, I actually wasn't at church, we were, I think I was like at uh, a Target or something, and I saw them, and they began instantly explaining to me what happened and what was going on and why they couldn't be at church, And I thought, all this time, I have never yet said, why aren't you in church? I didn't tell them to make this resolution. I didn't ask them if they made a church resolution. And I didn't tell them they hadn't. But at the end of the day, it came down to this. It requires getting up early. It requires planning ahead. It requires not signing up for Sunday morning soccer. It requires different things from us. None of which I was requiring, but they felt like this guilt or this shame. And I looked and I even told them, well, that's that's all right. We all get busy in life. My only thought is, how many times did we say we were going to change something? And it's easy for a day or two or a week or two. But you want to move forward in life? You want to stop feeling like you're spinning your wheels and you're stuck? Then start making the changes that really make a difference. Start making the changes that matter. Because God's looking at you right now, and His love for you is no less, whether you sinned this morning or you didn't, whether you sinned yesterday or you didn't. God's love is unwavering. But His desire to work in your life is also unwavering. And He wants so much more for you than you can imagine. I've said it many times, but it's the truth. God loves you exactly as you are, right where you are, but he loves you so much, he can't let you stay there. Because he sees the mess, and he sees the sin, and he sees all that, and he says, I want more for you, and I want more for you than you even want for yourself. How many of you in here, just think about this, that have kids think, I want more for my kids sometimes than they even want for themselves? I look at them and I say, I know what they're capable of. See, I have a daughter who I love greatly, that has quit college probably 63 times in the last four years. <laughs> and that may be a conservative estimate. The last time she quit was two weeks ago. This week she got a job offer. So, but it's, you know, it's dependent upon her actually graduating. Which we're not sure because she may quit in between now and and I tell her, you're capable of so much more than you think you are. I'm not saying it's not hard work. I went to college. It's hard. And she goes, yeah, but there's a lot of stupid stuff. I know. I remember making maps that we had to color code for a course in college thinking, I'm not in cartography. When is this ever going to be useful? And you know, since I got out of college, my map making skills had not yet been put to the test. But I remember doing it. I want more for her than I think she wants for herself sometimes. God's the same way. He looks at you and he says, I see so much more in you than you see in yourself. You can do this because I have great things for you. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to make you a success. God doesn't say that as hollow, empty words. He looks and he sees you and he knows what you can become. I love stories like the story of Grandma Moses. She was a painter, but she didn't start painting until she was in her 70s. And the reason I love it is because the gift was probably always there, but she finally took the time to sit down and use it. There's a guy who backed up B.B. King and his band for about 15 years. And um, it's always interesting, they love to tell the tale that. B.B. King heard him playing on a street corner, you know, had his case out, he was playing out there for money, and uh, B.B. King heard him and said, I got to get that guy in my band. So he sends his agent down and says, do you have a contract, all these other things? He's like, no, and he goes, come and play. So he sits in with B.B. King the first night, and uh, they're like, you know, do you read music? And he goes, no, I just play by ear, and they're like, Okay. Or I think he actually said, I don't read music. I can only play by hearing their Like That's all right. A lot of our band do. And so he plays, and he plays the entire first night. And they look. And the guy was in his uh, mid to late 50s, and they're talking to him. And they were like, well, we can't believe we've never heard of you. You're so good. He goes, yeah. He goes, I started playing two weeks ago. And they're like, what? He ended up playing for 15 years. He ended up passing away been playing two weeks and he decided it was time to go out on the street corner, he'd been doing that was his second day on the street when B.B. King walked by and heard him play it was always in there the question is, are you going to let God use what's already in there and say, I can be this, I can do this, or are you going to go, well I'm already 30, 40 50, 70, it doesn't matter what your age is, at some point you already think you're old I remember thinking I was old when I was a 35 year old youth pastor, I remember thinking I'm so old And yet I look back and go, huh, 35. Um, I wasn't nearly this fat and I could do a whole lot more then than I can now. We're not too old. It's not too late. You haven't blown it so much that you can't be used. You haven't sinned so bad that God can't use you. He's looking and he's saying, it's not too late. You can still be everything I created you to be. But first, you've got to get to me. You've got to get to know me so that you understand what I'm speaking to you, what I'm showing you, what I'm sharing you, what I'm leading you. That you can begin to walk away and turn away from those temptations because I have so much more for you than you could ever imagine. Father God, I thank you for Gathering Place. I thank you for the people of Gathering Place. God, for those who are struggling with illness today, I pray that you would touch their bodies. God, for those who are having surgery this week, this month, Lord, we pray for wholeness and healing. We know that you have a work in store for them. We know that they're in your hands. God, for those who are struggling at work, I pray, God, that you would help them find favor with their boss. For those who are struggling to find a job, I pray that you would open the door for the right place for them to be. God, for those who are struggling financially, I pray that you would send a bonus check. I pray that you would send money from somewhere to help meet those needs right now. God, for those who are just struggling with loneliness, isolation. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a comfort and a peace to them. God, for those who are struggling with fear for whatever reason, I pray that you would be a comfort to them. God, for those whose marriages today are just they are just tenuous, they're not sure if their marriage is going to make it, I pray God that you would just let them know that there's hope and there's help. God, for those who are in struggling situations with their children, Their children are are walking away from you, looking a different way. Their children are no longer even listening to reason, Lord. I pray that you begin to heal that relationship, that they wouldn't compromise or question what you have for them, but Lord, that they would walk boldly knowing that you want to restore that relationship. And God, I thank you for every person that's here, and I just pray a blessing on them, a blessing of your presence in your name. Amen. All right, I told you I was going to do one more plug today, and this is it. Um, some of you know I work with an orphanage down in Mexico i've been working there since two thousand one. Uh, it started with working with the church and the orphanage at that time. A different guy ran it, and the orphanage would be about six or eight kids and so we would go and get the kids and we'd bring them over to the church and just do stuff with the orphanage kids because we were down there and we'd run a day camp and uh, here we are sixteen years later, and there's a big, beautiful building that we uh, got to really help build and, and do things with. And and they have right now, I think they're at 22 kids. And they can have, the old orphanage, they could have up to 20. And now they can have up to, I think, up to 25 or 30 kids at the orphanage. And, and the number goes up and down because one time we'll be down there and there'll be 11. And the next time there'll be 17. and And so... I've been asked, you know, why, why this place? Why don't we go here? Why don't? And I'm always like, hey, if you want to lead a trip to you know, wherever, Cambodia or Brazil, you know, or Haiti, do it. I'm all for that. But I'm a guy who does things based on a relationship. So there was a six-year time period where I didn't go to Mexico. I, I would talk to the pastor on the phone occasionally, but for six years I didn't go because my life was so busy and so hectic, and I just couldn't, and um, after that time, I went back down there a couple years ago with some of our students, and there were some adults there as well, and I asked him, did you have any, he and the pastor and his wife were sitting there, and uh, his English is less than my Spanish, which is appalling, and uh, (laughs) so I say things in English, and then we try to figure out what the other person's saying, but I said, in the six years that I didn't come down here. Did you have other groups here? And he said, no. And, and his wife said, tell him why. I said, oh, why didn't you have anybody? And he looked and he said, I knew you'd be back. And I said, you waited six years? I was like, you're crazy, man. Get some groups down here. Pour some money into the building. But I was like, you waited six years for me to come back? And he just looks and he goes, you're back. I was like, yep, I am. I'm back. I don't know if this will be my last trip or if I'll make another 100. I really don't know because I don't know what life has in the future. And, uh, but what I know is this. Some of you say, Jeff, I can't go. I can't do 115 degrees. Believe me, I get that. Or you say, I can't get 12 days off work. I understand that. What I also know is that every one of us can be a part of it. You guys can financially support this trip. You can sponsor somebody else to go on the trip. You can sign up your kids and have them go on the trip. Or you can choose to go on the trip. You've got options. And I will tell you right now, some people say, Jeff, you, you, may, you undersell this trip. And I'm like, yes. Because here's what I don't want. I don't want somebody to get down there and say, you didn't tell me about this. I'm telling you now. It's the easiest missions trip you're going to go on, but it's still a foreign country and we sleep on a concrete floor And it's dusty because everything is dirt and it's hot. And I tell you, oh, they got new air conditioning units. And you go, oh, that's not bad. And they may or may not work. We don't know. And the electricity may or may not be on because I've been there for three days where for some reason there's no electricity. Nobody knows why. Nobody's sure when it'll be back on, but there's none. So we just do everything with an acoustic guitar. I want you to consider going... But I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I'm going to tell you it's hard and it's time-consuming because we do training and we do preparation. And I do all that so that when we get down there, we're already a team before we ever step foot on the ground. So if you want more information, if you come to the meeting today, you're not signing up for anything, I'll talk about what we do, why we do it, and um, kind of the end goal of the trip. But if you're interested or interested for someone else, come and talk to me. Again, you're not committing. I'm not even doing like a sign up sheet today. We'll start taking sign ups sometime at the end of February, and that's where we'll go from there. So if you're interested, come on out to my meeting. It'll be in about 30 minutes. We'll start in the very back room. Otherwise, say hello to someone, get home, and make your world famous hot wings. Somebody asked today if we, were ha- if, I, if we were having hot wings. I said, well, nobody signed up for them. They suggested I bring them. I suggested they do it.